Hello and welcome to Misbehave, the podcast which explores human behavior in business and how it impacts people, performance and profit. In this episode, we're talking all things customer experience, how to win them, retain them and get them to spend more money with you. We'll show you how considering customer behavior at every stage of the journey is what will convert sales, get you returning business and referrals, and you'll hear our three top tips to adapt your customer process to get the best possible outcome, whilst also adding a few more zeros on your bank balance. Let's misbehave. Welcome back to the podcast. You're here with Laura and Sarah. And today we are going to be digging into how to manage misbehavior with your customers to make more money. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> this is such a big one. And it's actually probably the one that when we do work with clients, they're like, give me that because it can literally make you more money overnight. So we're just going to recap a little bit by what we mean by misbehavior in in relation to customers. We talked about in our intro episode, when we talk about misbehavior, we're not talking about people being deliberately naughty. We're talking about people maybe missing things when they are working with your customers through either the sales process or your customer journey or customer experience missing key opportunities to influence, to motivate and to communicate with your customers in a way that resonates with them and ultimately in a way that engages them and makes them want to spend more money with you. Essentially, that's what we're talking about. So it's those little missteps that your team are probably making without even knowing that they're making them because they're following a process that they've been given to sell or to manage a project, or to do aftercare, you know, whatever part of the customer journey they're in. Actually, in some cases, Laura, it's not even just following a process. Some businesses don't even have set processes. Yeah, it's true. What they'll do is they'll be defaulting to how they want to receive the information or how they want to give it. They'll actually revert back to what they want or what they would like, how they would like to get it. And that's often... The, where the rub comes because you're basically doing, it's a bit like that same where people say like, oh, you know, treat people how you want to be treated. Well, actually, sometimes people want to be treated differently to how you want to be. Yeah. So it's more than just the process. The process. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Should we start with dispelling a little myth here? Yeah. <laughs> this is might ruffle some feathers, but we often hear the phrase, people want to work with people they like. If your customers like you, they'll stay with you. I mean, for some people, that's enough. Most people, the likability thing matters. But actually, how you work with someone and whether someone enjoys working with you, finds it effective, are more important than likability. I mean, we're a little bit different, probably. Okay, Laura Weave. <laughs> <laughs> Let me call you out on it. So, would you be okay? to work with someone that you actually didn't like or connect with. Yeah. If, with the caveat of, if I felt like they were going to get us the results that we wanted, so they were credible and I respected them, I think there's a difference between like and respect, but I didn't like them enough to like want to go and have a drink. There's that other thing about, oh, just recruit people you want to go and have a drink with on a Friday night. Uh, there's quite a lot of people I would not to choose to spend my Friday night with, but who actually 
I want to still work with because they bring something to us. You know, if we found somebody that we felt was a strategic partner, a consultant that could bring something to our business, somebody who could help us grow in the way that we want to grow, and I didn't particularly like them, I'd still want to work with them. Yeah. I mean, you're probably not the same. Well, first off, can I just say I'm in the Friday night group. So I like she likes to spend that evening with me on a Friday. So I'm okay with that. But yeah, I think where we differ, and this is a, a this is actually a behavior that Laura and I differ yeah. on. And um, for me, um, it's not so much that I feel like I need to like the person, but I definitely need to feel connected. Yeah. So for me, it's like, and yes, I want all of the things that you've just said. So all of the above, respectable, credible, really good at doing what they do and giving us the results, obviously. But for me, I want to feel like I connect with them. So, and some of the connection comes from them communicating to me in a way that I want to be communicated with. So, and often this is the thing that we we get wrong. We don't actually ask a client, like, how do you want to receive that information? How would you like me to... Get, keep in touch with you. How would you like me to distill the results? Sometimes, and that for me is the bit that connects because I feel like they know what I want and they're giving it to me in a way that I'm going to appreciate, that I'm going to be able to take on board and, and do with what we need. So that connection, it does come from rapport and a little bit of that superficial stuff. Um, and I think that's probably where we're slightly different. The rapport stuff and the how was your weekend and what did you get up to? And let's sit and have a coffee and a chat before we get get down to business is more important to you. But that piece that you talked about around receiving information in a way that you want to receive it, I want that. Like, I want you to work with me in a way that works for me as well. But you're right. It's that, I suppose the differentiator between us is the rapport and the, the likability, which some people still think is the be all an end all. I mean, we've had people on our training, haven't we, that have said, well, but if the customer likes me, then do I really need to think about how I influence them? Well, yeah, because that only takes you so far, as we've talked about with certain types of people. And actually people, in, in all fairness, we have had circumstances and, and experience where people have actually stayed working with someone because they liked them not because they were generating results. And sometimes you can build, it's like that separation of like, if you become friends with a supplier or you become friends internally in your team or with a client where it makes it more difficult to then have the difficult conversation or sever ties or to decide that you're not going to continue to work with them. Sometimes it can, can actually be a major issue. We've seen it where people have stayed working with people where long, you know, they've had stayed in the relationship way longer than they should have done. I mean, that's a whole different whole podcast. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but I think but that's, that's mm. the point, isn't it? That that's not, you're right, that that happens. So what we're not saying is that people don't stay with your business because they like the people that they work with. But I don't think any business owner or business leader would say that they want customers who stay with them because they feel obligated to or because they don't want to have a difficult conversation because they might remain legacy but they're unlikely to spend more money with you and let's be honest we all want to be in the flywheel of how do we get one customer that currently pays us 10 grand and make them pay 100 grand so yeah for sure let's just share our experiences as a customer first and then we're going to talk about like other stuff from a client perspective but certainly from Laura and I standpoint, obviously we know this stuff. So we eat, sleep and breathe behavior. And so for us, it's something that's 
on, I mean, people actually say, do you read people's behaviours when they meet them? Do you ever be, are you ever able to switch off? The answer is, yeah, it's intuitive to us to read people's behaviours and to layer it up with, with ours. So when we, when we're working with a supplier, we really want to, we're probably more conscious of- We're difficult customers, we basically. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. We're difficult in the sense that we're very open to say what we want and how we'd like to receive information, which hopefully that makes it easier for the the provider to give us what we need. But sometimes they will still stick to their process. Yeah. And particularly if it's being written by a leadership group and it's signed off, and then people within the business are basically executing the process or mm -hmm. the customer experience. Sometimes what happens is they'll give you, they'll stick to that process, even if you would prefer to go outside of the process. And even sometimes like the pre-sales process, like, you know, we'd, we've talked about before, anyone who's new here, one of my dominant patterns is the action level and wanting something like yesterday. Nothing drives me more crazy than when I want to buy a product and you've got to sign up for a demo. <laughs> and that demo's like three days away. I'm like, oh God, I'm just going to go and find a company that has a video that I can watch right now and I can start a free trial. It's it's even your pre-sales, isn't it? It's like yeah. anyone who is driven by action. So if you're someone out there that makes people sign up for a demo and makes them wait, this is pretty years up. You're going to lose potentially half of the people that actually want action now. So it's even before we can tell someone what we want, we've definitely chosen providers that match what we need from a behavioural perspective as a customer. Absolutely. For those of you who heard the click, that was Laura clicking her fingers. That's like <laughs> how quick she wants it. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's so true. Unconsciously, you are eliminating people in mm -hmm. your pre-sales process without even knowing that you're doing it. What we're not saying is don't give people a choice of a demo because there are exactly. definitely people who want the demo. But for others, they they maybe want something to move along much quicker. We're definitely one of those clients. Um, so speed is important. If we've made a business decision and we want it, we want to action it, we want to action it relatively quick. We want to give thought, so we want the information, but Laura and I are both big picture people, so we don't want huge amounts of detail. We might ask for it at some point if we need more clarity. But for us, it's it, where we get stuck often with, as, as, as a client is where we get given things in a, a very lengthy process. We're not particularly, we, we like the high level stuff. If we're working with someone, we trust them. We know they're credible. We want them to demonstrate results. So the kind of results piece is important for us. We're not brilliant if you send us long emails and expect us to then send massive long emails back. We're going to tell you said not brilliant. I mean, I like would say a much more extreme word. If I get an email that's more than about two paragraphs long, <laughs> you're probably not going to get a reply from me for a while because it's going to take me. This is very dramatic, but I need muster up the energy to read to the end of the email and actually figure out what you want me to do. I'd much prefer a snappy two-liner. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm the same, slightly less extreme, but I'm the same. <laughs> for us, that like that piece, jumping on a call for, so we've got someone who's working with us currently. They do a 15 minute call. It's on point every week. Laura and I jump into it. It never goes over. Often it goes under and they just give us a summary and they give us a, the headlines and we prep for that. We take anything that we need to discuss and it's done in a cadence that works for us. But we were really we were really vocal about that at the start. And they said, no problem, we can adapt to that. We're the paying customer. Now, obviously, when it's a client of ours, we do adapt that style. So if someone wants 
more detail. They want the lengthy report. You know, we have people within the business who help us with that support too, so we can deliver it. You know, if you're the purchaser, you're the customer, you kind of want it to work for you. But we we often miss that. We see yeah. a lot. And that's the that's the interesting piece, isn't it? Because you just said, we asked for that because we know what we know. So we're very open with communicating how we need to be communicated to. The challenge with lots of people is they don't build that in. You can't expect that your customer is going to tell you what they need because sometimes they don't realise what they need. So you really, our advice would always be during a sales process, your customer experience, customer success work, aftercare, anytime you're working with a customer, ask them the question, build that in and be prepared to flex according to what they need because they won't necessarily just proactively share that like we would. Yeah. And that even comes down to the way that you write pitch for business and write proposals. So we often say, if we're having a meeting with a decision maker, we'll ask the decision maker, how do you want to receive the information moving forward? If it's, if we're having a meeting, not with the final decision maker, we'll say, tell me what the final decision maker likes. How do they like to receive information? Will they want all the detail? Are they big picture? Will they want options? We literally ask the question and Usually, you, if you're working closely with a, a decision maker, you'll kind of know how they respond. So literally asking the question, that's top tip number one. Take that away, <laughs> write it down. We will summarise the tips at the end. But that is something that honestly, we just subconsciously don't do. We fall in line and we make assumptions. But often decisions are taken to a maybe a board, a big decision, a big purchase. or so sort of the stuff we sell is right, relatively high value. So there's often multiple decision makers. So sometimes you have to kind of, you have to cut across a number, but just ask the question. That's the key. Yeah. And that flexibility, isn't it? Because that, I mean, that proposal process for us is actually a biggie, isn't it? It's like we've got a proposal template and we pull pieces in and out. Like, do they want to hear what other customers have said? To some people that's important. To some people, they don't really care about other people's opinion other than their own. You know, do they want the process? Do they want the step-by-step like you said, do they want all the detail? Do they just want... Some of our clients are like, please don't send me a proposal. Send me an email. Give me three lines where they thinking about some particular people. <laughs> and I mean, that's kind of us, to be honest. But send me the three lines. Tell me what the outcome is going to be and tell me the price. Like that's... So it's just that flexibility to flex and know what somebody wants from you. But we've had some good examples from a from a client perspective as well in terms of us going in and doing behavioural work, one of the standouts for me was we went in to do some work with a tele sales team that did a lot of sales over the phone. And we're conditioned to think about in business as a process is best practice. You know, if you want something to be standardised, write a process. And while we agree with the theory behind that, it's, it's also then teaching your team to be flexible within that process and not to follow the process at all costs. And with this particular team, we listened in to some of the calls. And actually, there was one where the customer literally said the words, okay, I'm in, I'm ready to buy, what's the next steps? And the person was so busy following the process, they were only at point three in their seven point process, that they continued, oh, well, hang on a second, let me just tell you about the next benefit. And by the time they got to the seven point in the process where that was the time to have the conversation, the customer had hung up the phone. It was as cut and dry as that. But that's the, 
And that's a pretty extreme example, but it's about if you're a procedural business and you're putting in place a process, some clients won't fall in line with that process. They won't want to sit on the phone for, for seven steps. You know, so it's how do you create some flex in that so that it allows for different customers? And I think obviously we're talking there about more service-based businesses and where in telesales, there's obviously manufacturing businesses where a process is absolutely absolutely essential. So we don't want your staff going rogue and uh, diving out of the process. <laughs> but there is, um, so obviously that this is dependent on the business and the sector, but there's definitely, it's definitely food for thought that give your staff the autonomy and flexibility to be able to flex as long as it's a win-win win for the business and a win for the client. It's like if if you put such strict processes in place and the person like delivering can't doesn't have the autonomy or doesn't hasn't been given the space to make a decision mid process or mid flow, you actually can stifle the customer's experience or worse still in Laura's example block the sale and then in other cases you literally you just you're turning the client off. And that can lead to them not staying with you. You've lost a retainer. or And then the, their word of mouth is, it's not a great experience to work with those people. And how many times have we had that? Like, I've definitely had that as a customer, you know, where I've had, I've had almost like that responsive computer says no in the process. I mean, I had an example the other day, bought something online, got given a discount code by the company that somehow the discount code didn't get entered potentially because I was going too quick and just <laughs> bypassed it. Emailed the company and said, listen, like got this discount code. What, what do I do? Oh no, you can't, we can't do anything now because it's outside of our process. Oh wow. And it's just like the, what we're really talking about is high performing businesses that have amazing customer experiences. You know, we've got some clients where their whole MPS score is off the chart. They have the most amazing customer experiences. And what they do with that is they listen to what a customer needs. They ask the right questions, first of all. Mm-hmm. And then that they like you said, that autonomy piece, you can't have a high performing team if you give them zero autonomy. Yeah. What we're not saying is don't give any process, give an outline, but create flex points in there, create the right training environments where people can make some decisions around some of these things. But high performance typically doesn't come from an environment where there's no autonomy and there's no there's no ownership. Yeah, absolutely. And if you think about the work that we do, Laura, like looking at how can people understand behaviours in a business in order to sort of help their their teams. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've delivered training in businesses where they've been maybe introducing a new product and it's a brand new customer experience or where they've had to drive significant change and the team have had to adapt. Maybe they've been transferred into new roles where the customer has changed, even where the customer has had a service before but the service has changed for whatever reason. And suddenly you're having to go and have conversations with that customer, explain the change and then say, well, this is the new offering. You know, them being able to understand how different people are going to respond, how to influence the customer to want to stay or to adapt to that change and, and move along that journey with you. We've done loads of work around that. And I think it's so important not to just expect the customer to do what you want them to, to adapt do, to your to process. Adapt. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's the that's the piece. And, you know, whenever we talk about this stuff, we give 
all the background, but we're also conscious that leaders in businesses or managers managing sales teams or business development managers or sales execs are not behavioral experts. You don't have to be, you know, it's just about, yes, there's, you know, most customers, as we've talked about with, with team members will have some dominant behaviors, but for us, you know, it's about understanding, first of all, what are they motivated by? Why are they working with you? So are they working with you because they want to form an achievement in the business? They want to reach a certain level. Are they working with you because they want to reach a new demographic or they want to work internally better? Are they working with you? What's what's actually that motivation behind working with you? Because if you then need to have difficult conversations, but you can link it to a customer's motivation, you will have those those conversations in a much more successful way and in a way that resonates. But then asking the question that we talked about before around how do they want to work with you? Opening the floor up. They don't need to know that actually what you're asking them is, what are your dominant behaviours and how do we understand it? Although we do have some clients that actually send out behavioural assessments to their customers, but that's a whole other thing. But it's actually just about asking the question. I mean, we use a very simple little tool uh, just on, on Laura's point there. Focus it on the outcome. So are you being, Laura mentioned goals, but are you being outcome focused? First of all, you need to know what the outcome is for the customer and that outcome, you need to be super clear as the provider that you're able to give it, but loop in every difficult conversation with the outcome. So, you know, if you've got to have a difficult conversation with a customer, for example, they're not giving you what you need or they're not responding to your emails, or they're missing every meeting that you've scheduled in, you then can have that conversation because you can say, listen, this is the outcome we set out to achieve in the first instance. We need to address that. So that outcome focused really helps you drive the difficult conversations and loop it in with something that is really tangible. But you have to ask what that is in the first instance and be really clear about it. And then communicate that outcome in a way that resonates. I can think about an example, both from, from us internally, but we also had a client have this where we were focusing on an outcome for our business and our outcome was big picture. It was one number. Now I'll not go into the context of it, but, and actually the company that we were working with was providing us with a report that showed us about 10 or 12 different metrics. Now in their head, they were like, oh, this business outcome focused, they want all this information. And actually what so it's, is your outcome the same as the customer's and are you communicating in a way that they want it? Because we just looked at those 12 metrics and we're like, well, none of those metrics actually link to ours, or at least we don't think they do. And actually it's just a load of data that we don't need. So, and we call that like keeping it clean. So use the language the customer uses. If they're talking about, for example, we want to grow our employee engagement score by X, then communicate to them how you're growing their employee engagement score by X. It's not that difficult. Don't talk about, oh, well, we did this with this employee and this employee said they were motivated in this way. That's all just noise. Like what's what's the end piece? And if they're communicating it to you in a big picture way, give them the big picture. They don't need all the detail just because you're detailed. Yeah. And on the flip side of that, it's also being aware that some people will want the detail. Yeah. So we didn't and we didn't, the other stuff really was the, it kind of demonstrated how busy they were and where they were spending their time. But we didn't, we we trusted them and that they yeah. were going to be effective and doing what they needed to do. We were outcome driven. But on the flip side, you might have a customer who really does want the detail and therefore you've got to put the effort in and provide in that stuff. Yeah. So I think to kind of loop that off, really what we're saying, some takeaways mm-hmm. for you. First of all, look at your own sales process 
your customer experience, your customer success, whatever part of your customer journey you're looking at and ask yourself the question, first of all, is it one size fits all? Is your customer process just for one type of customer? If it is, how might you need to flex that depending on if you've got different people? And then going and asking your customers the questions, do you, how do you want us to work with you? Why are you working with, with us? What's your motivation for this? Like Sarah said, what's the outcome that you're hoping to achieve? And when we ask the question, how do you want to work with us? You know, give them some examples. Do you want us to send you lots of detail or do you just want the big picture overview? How often do you want us to talk to you? Do you want it on email? Do you want a phone call? Do you want us to give you all of the background of where we got to with something? Are you bothered about seeing us face to face or are you happy with just an update email? Those are all behavioural patterns. Do you want the process and the step-by-step of what we're doing or do you want us just to give you a couple of options to choose from? They're the sorts of things and, and what you'll find is they will tell you. Yeah. And then it's just about tailoring what you do to that. So just to wrap up what we're talking about so that you've got some actions to take away from this. So first of all, have a look at your customer process, whichever one it is, sales process, customer journey, customer experience, and ask yourself the question, is this one size fits all? Action two, if it is one size fits all, look at which parts of that are able to be flexed and look at where some of that training could happen with the team to allow some of that flex. And step three, go and ask your customer what they need from you. Ask them what's their end goal, what's their outcome and how do they want to be communicated and worked with and then tailor your process to that. Thank you for choosing to listen to the Misbehave podcast. Hit the subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes.